Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of That's So Kvetch, where we talk about dating, Torah, and everything in between. It has been quite a while, I am trying to figure out a new schedule with the podcast. Like I said many times before, when I don't come out with an episode, it's either because I am too busy or going through a breakdown, and my life has been nothing short of both of those, and I'm working on new models and just thinking about having guests and how it's going to look and also just like taking care of day-to-day things. So today is an episode in November and it's going to be an amazing episode because it's possible it might be the only episode in November, but only time will tell. Um, Definitely have something brewing as always, but yeah, today's topic is about good girls and bad girls and I'm really excited because Personally, I have a lot of feelings about this topic in terms of how it has affected my life today and also just like thinking about Jewish culture in general and then bringing in a story from the Torah to map it all out. You know, a good old That's So Kvetch episode. So I'm going to start off just by sharing some updates from life because that's always fun and who knew that I live in a brand new country, so... Yeah, definitely in my second stage of adjustment. I have been here for over a month now. My month anniversary just passed and the adrenaline has settled in. I have had a few like, whoa, I live here now. Whoa, all my friends are back home. Like my close friends, whoa, most of them. I have, thank God, a few close friends here, but like, whoa, it's really feels like the dust has settled and... I'm in that stage of like, okay, I live here now and I need to just live life and kind of take it slow and be in more of a stage of acceptance. Like I think when I was in the adrenaline stage, I was just like, go, go, go. What's next? Where can I go? How can I like desperately recreate the life that I had in New York here? But it's not that easy and it takes time and, um, yeah, just one thing I was thinking about is that qualities of friendships in COVID really got stronger and they just became they just became more close. And I think I came here thinking like, okay, I'm going to find like places to go out, super secure friendships. That's exactly what I had right before I left. And it's just going to be like, okay, let me like find these people and make it happen. But First of all, Jerusalem is a lot more chill than New York in terms of like nightlife and scene. Um, So that's been different. And also like it takes time to create really meaningful relationships. And I've decided to, instead of thinking about what I don't have and what I miss, focus on the things that I have and all the new people that I'm getting to meet and the exploration and just like the being open and seeing the whole world and not making any drastic decisions about what I want next and what kind of people I want to be surrounded by um, is a beautiful thing and also Jerusalem is such a holy city and filled with spiritual meaning and I'm really lucky that I've been able to witness some of that and just day-to-day be here and be experiencing regular local life in Israel is really awesome. Jerusalem is really beautiful so it's really nice just walking around like cleaner streets there's just beautiful flowers and trees and also there are no seasons so it's just kind of comical to me that it's November because I'm watching my friends in New York wearing their coats and I'm like 
wearing sandals and it's 80 degrees in the middle of the day, which is really actually crazy. Um, so it doesn't really feel like it's like a new season or a new beginning. Like it just feels like I've been this really long extended summer. Also, October just passed and my Halloween was so shocking. I got really excited about this Facebook event party that a friend of mine sent me and it ended up just being like not popping in the way that I would expect. Like I decided, okay, like I'm going to wear a low-key costume. Like I'm just going to be a hippie, super classic, wear a flower crown. And I show up and I'm like embarrassed because like no one's really dressed up. And like suddenly my flower crown is like a statement piece. And I'm, I'm telling you, I have not seen one pumpkin the entirety of Halloween. And you know that in America, everywhere you go, it's like pumpkin season. So I just think it's ludicrous to even have a pumpkin when it's hot out. Like, I just feel like I was just not living in the same reality that my friends were living in and the things they were doing. I was like, we're just really living really different lives right now. Um, I have, I've been practicing my Hebrew. Hebrew is a must when you're talking to locals here and has definitely had my growing pains there. Sometimes like feeling like, whoa, like I'm having a conversation. I can chat, like, let's go. And then other times like stammering and trying to speak. And then someone's like, okay, we can switch to English. And I'm like, ah. and then I'm like, okay. So this is an issue with my glasses. Cause whatever, I had a lot of eye issues, but thank God being taken care of. Um, I just have two funny like moments where I was like, oh, light bulb. So with Hebrew specifically. So I went to the grocery store once, whatever. I got to the front of the grocery line and she's like, oh, are you like, she goes like, Moadon? that's the word she uses. And I'm like, like that's what I say like I don't understand <laughs> and then basically I didn't really think about it we chatted but like she kind of didn't like explain what Moadon was but I have these words like stick in my head sometimes and then later on I had a moment where I was like yeah I know Hebrew like I can talk to an Israeli guy from a dating app and like it's gonna be great so I had like a little stint where I was talking to this guy for like a week or so and while we were talking, I told him like, oh, you know, Halloween was kind of dead. Like, I'm, you know, a little bit disappointed and it was pretty good. Like I was able to chat, but also like I did start putting a bunch of my things in Google Translate and he had made a joke in the middle of our conversation. He's like, didn't understand something I said. And I was like, oh crap. He like realized I'm using Google Translate. And he's like, don't worry. I already know like our first date is going to be me, you and Google Translate, which I don't know why he would be into that. I don't think I would be into that, but whatever, to each his own. Um, maybe some people like to date Google Translate, but I know I wouldn't. In any case, we were talking about Halloween. I was like, yeah, it was kind of like a letdown. And he's like, oh, like, why do you celebrate Halloween? It's like a not Jewish holiday. And I was like, in America, it's just a costume party and people just go out. It's not like, like everyone does it. It's not considered, depending on your circles, like, oh my gosh, a not Jewish holiday, like so taboo. People just like get dressed up if they want to. And I don't know, it's just not such a big deal. So I explained that to him. Um, and then we were just talking about nightlife a little bit. So he was like, oh, do you like clubs? And he goes, moadonim. And I was like, wait, I just heard that word at the grocery store. And I feel like she was probably asking me if I was part of the grocery store club and whether I wanted to join or not. So I had this light bulb moment and I felt very proud of myself. And then I had another small moment today that I'm proud of. I've been on a hunt to find the Israeli music scene. And there's a music venue nearby called the Yellow Submarine. 
And the day I was decided, I was like had a lunch break and I was watching an Israeli TV show because I've been like watching only them to kind of learn the language. And also at the same time, potentially going to a concert this Thursday with this artist named Echo at Yellow Submarine. And I've been like putting the songs and getting into them. Something I like to do before I go to concerts is like get into the songs. And basically this song that I've been listening to was at the beginning of this TV show. And I was like, whoa, like that's how you know that you got something right in the culture is when you can watch an Israeli TV show and be like, oh yeah, like I know the song. It's called Enayim Eli by Echo. Like I know it. That's cool. Um, yeah. So those are just my stories. That That really is my Israel update. Things are going well otherwise. And I'm really trying to stay optimistic and grateful and grounded and slow. So that's that. But today's topic is what we're going to be talking about, which is good girls and bad girls. And basically I'm in this Talmudic heroines class that is just like really, first of all, really Gila Fine who teaches it is an absolute genius. But also we talk about topics that I just feel like are so relevant and really get me going. Like today I was in class and I was just so riled up um, thinking about this because it's just such a, like, it's just something that grinds my gears. I don't know how to like fully explain it, but I'm just going to keep talking. So this concept of good girls and bad girls is basically like a stereotype that you are well aware of where people categorize women as like being a nice girl and like a good girl who only does good things and is like really passive and saintly and modest and all of these things and bad girl is someone who's like the opposite of that she's like really independent and outspoken and kind of like a little bit looser in her sexuality and things like that so today we'll be talking about this awesome woman named Lilith and Eve and kind of like how those two are good girl and bad girl and I wanted to talk about why we're talking about this to begin with and for me, I think the toggling between like considering whether I'm a good girl or a bad girl is just a very relatable struggle. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there will be people listening to this who clicked on it because they will relate to it. So that's definitely my overarching goal here. And also just, you know, I want to give a disclaimer that I might make some generalist claims here, but it's just, I want to open up people's eyes to thinking about this idea and seeing how it presents in the world and noticing it and trying to find a way to be aware of it but not get super angry about it or use it in a way that makes you be able to make a better world around you. So yeah, that's why I'm talking about it. And basically the next part of this episode is going to be me telling the story talking about Lilith a little bit more, and then talking about the stereotypes of how this has affected life today, in my life, and how I feel it's affected the Jewish world, and then some other, like, offshoot kind of topics to go off that. And I wanted to say, like, every single one of the topics that I'm going to bring up is, like, you can talk, I could talk about each of them for, like, so long, and there's so much that you could go into with all of them, but this is kind of meant to be, like, an overview of, like, everything that is related to this topic. So yeah, and obviously I'd love to end with a lot of inspiration. So that's the goal here and hope you'll stay on this ride. So 
First of all, just to give a little introduction about Lilith because I think it's helpful just to get to know her a little bit better before I read these two stories that are pretty short. Um, and I have to thank my Jewish learning for this source, but Lilith is the most notorious demon in Jewish tradition. In some sources, she is conceived of as the original woman, created even before Eve, and she is often presented as a thief of newborn infants. Lilith means the night, and she embodies the emotional and spiritual aspects of darkness, terror, sensuality, and unbridled freedom. More recently, she has come to represent the freedom of feminist women who no longer want to be good girls. So, very apropos to our conversation. And the story that I'm going to tell you about is from the first record of Lilith's story. She comes up in folklore in many different moments and in different facets, but this is the first one that she's talked about and the one that we're kind of going to like draw all of our analysis from. So I'm going to read to you the little section from Genesis on Eve, and then I'm going to read to you the part from the alphabet of Ben Sirah from about Lilith. So one about Eve goes like this. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed upon the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. So that's about Eve. And as we can see, she was made out of Adam's rib and made to be a helpmate for him. And that's basically the story on Eve. Not much else to that we're going to go into. And this is the story on Lilith. After God created Adam, who was alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He then created a woman from Adam, from the earth, as he had created Adam himself, and called her Lilith. Adam and Lilith immediately began to fight. Adam and Lilith immediately began to fight. She said, I will not lie below. And he said, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top. For you are fit only to be in the bottom position, which I am to be the superior one. And in case this doesn't make sense, this is, we interpreted to be a conversation about them lying in bed together in which Adam says that he will not go on bottom and that he is like only going to do missionary with her and Lilith speaks up and she said and he says like I want to be on top because I'm the superior one okay Lilith says we're equal to each other in as much as we were both created from the earth but they would not listen to one another when Lilith saw this she pronounced the ineffable name this is like the name of God that is like a huge curse and flew away into the air leave me she said i was created only to cause sickness to infants if the infant is male i have dominion over him for eight days after his birth and a female for 20 days so basically she says nah i'm not here for this and then flies away and is becomes this demon that is known for being the killer of babies and take it as you may, Lilith has become a emblem of Jewish feminism in many modern Midrash stories, and and we are going to focus on the comparison between Lilith and Eve. So, so a few adjectives that we pointed out about Eve is that she is dependent and compliant, she's a helpmate, 
She's really saintly. She's silent. You know, you don't really hear her in the story. And Lilith, it's important to note, is created from the earth and not from a rib. And she's very different. She's independent. She's defiant. She says she doesn't want to follow the rules. And she's very vocal about those feelings. And we talked about all these different examples and the stereotype that exists in our world today and how, and I'm going to open up, talk about how it's affected me and the Jewish world. But I think it's just cool to bring up Lilith to start with because I, when I first learned this story a while back, was just so, thought it was so cool that she existed in this like very cool prequel before Eve and is known to be like a feminist because I think it's really cool to be able to base feminism on a story in the Bible, in the Torah and be able to be inspired by that because it kind of makes me feel like perhaps when the story was created or God, you know, like gave people to come up the ideas to come up with these stories that he was knew that feminism was going to be a very strong and important movement. And he kind of like created that faction and that person that we could look up to And I see that in many characters of the Torah and this one specifically just speaks to me in that way. So, and an interesting few other bits that I want to add is that this story just spread throughout Jewish life and other authors expanded on it. For example, the Zohar imagines that Lilith was not only the first wife of Adam, but also the wife of Satan. And in the Kabbalah, Lilith takes on a cosmic power. She is a chaotic counterpart to the Shekinah, female divine presence. In fact, the Zohar imagines that while the Jews suffer in exile, the Holy One, the masculine aspect of the divine, separates from the Shekinah and consorts with Lilith. Lilith's sexual spiritual link with the divine will only end when the Messiah comes and the brokenness in the world is mended. Powerful stuff, y'all. Powerful stuff. So, swiftly moving along... I, when I learned the story and just we were talking today about good girls and bad girls, thought like, wow, this has just been such a part of my life and I couldn't help but like be a little um, triggered in that inner anxiety of mine. And, you know, I'm just going to be a little vulnerable here and say that I myself have not always felt like the good girl. And I think that being in environments where the idea of the good girl is so celebrated it's hard has been difficult for me at times to like accept that I have a lot of Lilith in me and I think part of it is wanting to just fit in and I think sometimes the good girl is kind of idealized as like the better thing and the bad girl is seen as like you know the not the ideal and not the someone that is like gonna find a suitor in the best way possible and you know I'm always I've thought in the past and sometimes do think about like well what is my future husband gonna want and like I have to be that person that like he's going to want but also like I need to be me so how do I balance that and also like do I even want to be with someone that doesn't let me be me and so it's definitely something that I've struggled with but I think I'm in a good place now and I hope that like I will only continue to be in a good place. Um, And another way that I think it affects me is like 
this concept of the good girl and bad girl is like very binary and I feel like it makes me think about kind of like the spiritual and the physical side of myself being at odds with each other you know sometimes wanting to just like go out and go crazy and hook up and do whatever or like you know the same person who wants to daven shahri and be very spiritual and meditate and how like those two don't feel like they could be the same person um but it's safe to say that they can be and the older I get and the more people I meet, the more it's obvious that other people live a similar life that is nuanced and filled with different ways of religious expression. Um, and then the third way I wanted to bring up might trigger some of my fellow Stern Girl listeners here, but the whole concept of coming from Stern College for Women is just filled with stereotypes and I honestly, thank God, don't feel like I'm having to fight for this so much anymore because it's been a few years, but when I tell someone that I'm a stern girl and we're out having a drink or doing something like not super good girl, just like taking shots or whatever it is, like I'll have conversations with people about stories and things like that and they're like, oh, like I didn't know stern girls do that or like oh, like, you went to Stern, and they look at, like, how I'm dressed, and they're like, oh, like, I didn't know, like, oh, Stern girl, oh, okay, Stern girl, and I just, like, Stern girl is the equal, like, Stern girl is equal to good girls, like, Stern girl is the concept of good girls perpetuated in today's culture, and I just have to say that it is wild that it's still happening today, and it's just such a part of any girl who's just wants to be herself and be nuanced and not be pigeonholed but nevertheless I just feel like it's such a good comparison to like describe how part of our world this is even though like even though we want to believe it's not really anymore so I wanted to open up the conversation and focus on the Jewish lens specifically and talk about why this is a thing to begin with and also how being in the Jewish sphere can kind of change it in a way so I think overall it's important to mention that stereotypes and boxes really make labeling a lot easier and I think in the Jewish world, in the young Jewish world, there's a lot of like identification happening and labeling and people kind of talking about each other and setting each other up and getting to know each other and I will say people seem to do it less as you get older and also honestly way less in Jerusalem but it's only been a month, I don't think it's fair for me to make any judgments but just stereotyping people in the Jewish world is part of a lot of existence and I think describing someone as like a good girl is a very normal thing to do even if it's very like pigeonholing so take it with a grain of salt always important to mention that Um, and then another thing is that when you go back to how men are taught to see women in Jewish culture I think that boys are taught that Eve, the good girl, is the ideal, whether it's in media or the fact that boys are taught that women are, you know, evil and bad and things like that. I know that I've heard from the grapevine that there are all sorts of things that men are told about women. Um, And also in religious Jewish spheres, like, it's really, the assumption is that you're not having sex until you're married and that, like, you that involved I think that kind of touches into the good girl thing also there's like a trope of the mother being in the home and 
having her own sphere in certain Jewish circles. And I think that kind of like ties into the good girl. Um, and I think in general in religious spaces, there's a lot of emphasis on being pure and being modest and being saintly. Um, and I think those are all fine and good things, but I think that it misses a, a really important part of many of the modern women today that are simply just not that way. And our world needs to adapt to be able to make space for those women. Um, and also, you know, even if feminism is making strides to allow women to express themselves in like their Lilith sides, I think because religion is such a part of this, it really just promotes being the Eve and it takes a while because of the religious aspect for things to kind of progress. Um, and I wanted to segue into saying how sometimes religion can be used kind of as a smokescreen. And this has come up in other episodes. If you've been a longtime listener between my conversation with Scott Kahn about homosexuality and my own reflections on homosexuality and also my conversation with Basheva Marcus around sexuality and just how sometimes there are moments where people are like, oh, well, you know, Halakha says this. and But I just think religion is sometimes used as a smokescreen to cover up racism and discrimination and misogyny and etc. And just cover up all these bad things by saying like, oh, well, the Torah says it. So like, that's why we do it. Um, and in terms of good girls and bad girls, I think that religion can be used as a smokescreen to say that like women should be a certain way and that that's really the only the best way to be even if that's not true to reality and yeah I think that I'm also implicit in this sometimes and I think it's a journey to try to see and try to separate when you are using religion as a way to cover up for things that are much worse um so Definitely, it's a journey to like make that separation and make that distinction. And I think it takes a lot of effort and work and value on being more of a social activist and caring about the people around you and not just the Jews in your circle. Um, and I have like a bunch of other things listed here about why this is bad, but I'll just touch upon like briefly that. I have this whole like chart here how like Judaism is glorifying celibacy which leads to sexual repression and sexual repression leads to like really negative attitudes around sex and one of the things I want to highlight here is that there are so many cognitive dissonances in Judaism and one of them I think is this that like in terms of sex specifically that sex is celebrated but only in marriage and so it's very hush-hush in other, any other capacity. So you're told, like, up until you're married that, like, you should absolutely not have sex. But then when you're married, like, for sure, like, you, of course, have a super healthy attitude towards sex because, you know, totally refraining from it before doesn't lead to any issues or creating any guilt and shame around it doesn't lead to any issues. And we all know that these days people are getting married at very different times of their lives and people are getting married later than they used to and... I think it's a difficult thing to only be confined for for marriage in this sense. Um, it's a hard thing to swallow. And I think 
a lot of what I do on this podcast is kind of try to battle my cognitive dissonances in Judaism. Um, and this is definitely one of them because we're told that we need to be a certain way and also be another way. And it's just supposed to fly perfectly. And the reality is that it doesn't. And I looked up a lot of bad things that happen with sexual repression from inability to have sex properly or enjoy it, feeling lots of guilt, shame, faking happiness, just being depressed. Like it was just like an endless list of everything that's bad. And I just think that sexual repression is such a big part of like Jewish life coming from Orthodox backgrounds and becoming an adult and experiencing different experiences. So yeah. And I also just want to say that this isn't an easy thing. It's not like okay, there's a super easy solution that we can do and educate our children away and everything's going to go perfectly because I want to recognize that sex is a really powerful and sometimes dangerous weapon. Um, And it's important to treat it respectfully, but also not ignore it. And I think that Jewish communities are really working on this issue and having healthier attitudes and more open conversation. And I see a lot of my role models talking more openly about these types of things to their kids and I hope that I will be able to be part of that change and be a voice that speaks up about how to make healthy attitudes towards sexuality in Jewish spaces Um, and I also just want to backtrack for a second because I feel like I didn't make such a good like segue from good girls and bad girls to sexuality but I think that the concept of good girls and bad girls does tie in to like being super innocent in bed and then also like not being so innocent and that's very much like the crux of good girls and bad girls and kind of issue that I take with it because like women are multifaceted and I don't think it's fair to and I've had conversations with guys like this sometimes or you know just people pass around be like oh so like did you like drink a lot in high school did you go out did you sneak around and you know I've heard a girl will say like yeah sometimes and they're like oh oh like so you were a bad girl and it's like what do you mean by that and where are you going with this and I'm gonna yell at you if I was present for that conversation um because like if she's gonna be a bad like whatever just if she wants to do that she should be able to do that and she should not be categorized as a bad girl just like a very archaic term that is used day to day. So that's enough of my rambling. Um, I'm going to get to the part where I get to the conclusion side of this podcast. Um, first of all, talking about how to deal with the struggle and just from a personal perspective, because clearly I've expressed that this is something I've felt challenged with as feeling like a resident Jewish bad girl at times. Um, And personally, I think it's just been self-acceptance for the most part and thinking about what I want and trying to not care about what other people want from me. Um, And it's a really good feeling and I feel like I'm in a good place about it. Um, It's a feeling that takes time to come and I can definitely say that there were some people along the way that I encountered that really helped me make some of these decisions and recognize where my boundaries were and where I stand in what I want and the things that I just really won't compromise on um and yeah I meet people who are just much more nuanced these days I think there's an understanding as we all mature that we become more nuanced um but 
from a feminist perspective, I have found this to be really frustrating to feel like, you know, you need to fit into one of these models. And it's just the whole concept is so angering to me. So I wanted to talk about like some reflections that my, that Gila shared about, you know, how are we supposed to change things? Like I've told her like this, this stuff really frustrates me. And she says that, this is like a Gila Fine quote. She said that awareness is one step towards redemption. And she said, it's hard, it's hard to, she said, awareness is one step towards redemption. One very important step. And then Gila says, awareness is one step. And so something that Gila said today that I thought was just so on point is that You know, we can't change the issues that are around us, but having self-awareness is really key to our redemption and being able to be aware of all of these things and share them with others and speaking up about it and trying to make the world a better place by sharing it with others is really the first step towards making our world a better place. And I felt very moved by that. And in some ways, I also don't feel satisfied with it, but that's okay because I think that part of being in this world is dealing with some of the frustrations and choosing whether or not you're going to be a part of it and be in the fight against it or just, you know, be on the sidelines and watch things happen. And I think it's okay to sometimes take the sidelines, but I think it's important to also sometimes speak up. So that's what we're doing here tonight. And... I wanted to share some like epilogue moments for Lilith that are awesome um, and just ways that she has changed and shaped because there's a lot of modern Jewish feminists who give their midrashim, their like agadic stories on where Lilith is today and sorry, where Lilith is today, like different stories of Lilith that they interpret. So One of them comes from Judith Plaskow, and I think this story is so beautiful. And then I'm going to share another one, and it's in her story called The Coming of Lilith. And in her midrash, Lilith flees the garden because she's an uppity woman who doesn't want to be pushed around by Adam or God. Same like our story, and then it changes. However, she misses female companionship. Lilith soon sneaks back into the garden and befriends Eve. Eve has been told Lilith is a demon, but once the two women share their stories, they become allies and companions in the search for knowledge. And then two more I'm going to share, actually. This woman named Lean Gottlieb shared that Lilith is made from the sky and Adam from the earth. In her love for Adam, Lilith chooses to forget she came from the sky, and she becomes Eve, settled and happy, but ignorant of her own true nature. In her story, Gottlieb dramatizes the struggle of women to love men while still loving themselves. Relatable. Um, And then there's this last one I'm going to share that comes from Jacqueline Lapidus' brief poem, Eden, which imagines a lesbian encounter between Lilith and Eve. Using the Lilith legend, Lapidus invents an origin story for love between women. Scholar and author Ohad Izrahi frequently writes about Lilith as a split-off sexual component of woman, an image created by men fearful of a full relationship. He encourages men and women to see Lilith and Eve as the same person. And that's kind of where I wanted to end off and share that at the end of the day, this concept of a good girl and a bad girl is 
a serious binary and I think that women are truly both Lilith and Eve in various aspects of their lives and that we must celebrate all parts of ourselves and work to perpetuate against the patriarchy and just stomp all the stigmas of the world um, and live in utopia or just yell about it and talk about it and think about it and see that it doesn't have to take over day-to-day -day life and that there are awesome people in this world who are aware of the nuances and many, many people like that. So we're not alone in this struggle and both Lilith and Eve have their strengths and weaknesses and that's okay. Um, and also, you know, once you see these things, it's really everywhere. And this singer that I mentioned earlier, Echo, has a song with Jane Bordeaux, who's like a famous indie singer in Israel. And I'm going to share the lyrics because I just felt like it, it was like a really good, so relevant, exactly what we're talking about. And also going to play the song a little bit and hopefully not get the episode kicked off. Um, and the song is called Isha Kasha, which translates to difficult woman. Um, and yeah, it's I'm sort of poetry, but it's also keep in mind it's translation. So it's not perfect. A difficult woman. If another person asks me the same question again, are you a good girl or bad? I'm not a girl and there isn't any good or bad. Who are you to tell me if I have a choice? If another person will bring up the same comment again, you aren't smiling back enough. The smile disappears. You went too far. I will smile when I want to laugh. I don't feel shame anymore. I am a difficult woman. I am a difficult woman. Even during a whisper, you know that I already feel how much you all fear me. If another person will put me in front of others, will tell me that they bring me troubles, I will smile at him with love. They are sisters at the same party. That, that paragraph I don't really understand. <laughs> if another person will tell me that you can't, that your voice is dangerous to be heard, my song runs, plays for him in my voice. You can't stop me, can't stop me. I didn't want to talk about this. I wanted to go, but they're in the mud and I'm the one getting dirty. Who am I? Who am I? What am I? What mirror on the wall? Full of amazement. I am like this, like I am. What is crazy about this? If everything is possible, so I won't relax about this. I didn't want to be a headline. Yes, allowed, not allowed, the most beautiful, not talented. It's all nothing in the end. I don't have what to dare. This is the fire that is in me in any event. And I have compassion and love within the face of the fear. And I don't feel any shame saying it this way. Yeah.